Thank you, sir. Good morning. It is always good to be here. Um, I was so excited when I heard the Graves family finally went from three to four. Um, and so um, that's exciting to, to hear about that. And uh, even Micah, that's really funny. Um, but, you know, it is awesome uh, to be here again. I know many of you. And uh, just to be with this body of believers is always a blessing to me. Uh, we are going to be in Philippians 2, so we'll get there in just a second. Um, but just for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm the discipleship director at Calvary. I um, have known Josiah for many, many years. It's just a friendship um, and got a chance to work together. And so I always say this, but just being here and seeing you all is a blessing to me because I remember when that was just a prayer. And now um, seeing what God is doing is amazing. And so... Um, again, just blessed to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2 if you're already there. Um, we're actually going to start um, back a little bit. So we're going to start in verse 27. And um, I was struggling for a while to think of a title for this. But if I could call this anything, I would say I really want to talk today about a unity that changes minds. I want to say that again, a unity that changes minds. And we're going to start in verse 27 and go back just a little bit. But if you think about it, Josiah said it. So Paul, in a Roman prison, chained to someone, a captive audience, can't really go anywhere, is writing to the church at Philippi. And uh, he loves this church. You can tell one of the things that I love about this is reading this in contrast to reading like Ephesians or Corinthians. This is more of an instruction of encouragement and love, not necessarily one of like, hey, I don't want you to do this and I want you to stop doing this. And it's not necessarily a criticism one. It's more of love and encouragement and instruction as he deals with this body of believers at Philippi. And so um, that's where we're going to jump in and see a maturing group. I say if any group so far is mature or at least maturing, it's this group in Philippi. And so, you know, he doesn't maybe have to do the same thing that he does in other places, but he's been through all kinds of trials and tribulations himself from jail to beatings. And he's writing in the midst of all this, that I still have joy. In all this and everything I'm going through, I still have this joy, and I want you to have this joy. And I know Josiah kind of talked about this, but joy, okay, is not the absence of trials and tribulations, but it's the presence of something greater. I know that you guys have talked about that, the presence of something greater, something that supersedes what we're going through. And so let's dive into um, right here, chapter 2, actually back in chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So he goes back to talk about, hey, 
Let your conversation, you know, and your conduct be the same. Let your conduct weigh as much as your conversation. Let people see that. Hey, you will go through trials and tribulation. You will suffer, for it has been granted to you to suffer. A lot of us be like, thank you. It's been granted to me to suffer. It's great. Um, but he has this mind to say, hey, I want you to have this same mind. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm dealing with. And this is how I'm dealing with. How about you? How about you? Um, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this group of believers. I thank you for what you're doing with this group of believers in God. Help us to know that it's you that gives increase to anything that we do. God, help us to know that it's you that makes anything happen for good. And God, as we're just vessels of you, Lord, help us to be that. Help us to be willing vessels, willing to be humble, willing to submit, um, willing to listen to your direction through whomever you decide to give it to. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would be that. Lord, we pray that we would strive together. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So have you ever gotten a question that you know the answer to already? Have you ever had someone ask you a question? You're like, I know the answer to this. Um, how many of you, when you were young, got in trouble? And when you got in trouble, your mom said, so if Robbie jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Right? And you're like, okay, I know the answer to this. The answer is no. There was always that one smart aleck person who was like, well, where's the bridge at? Um, and they got in more trouble. Uh, so you, it's a question you already know the answer to because I love how Paul begins in 2-1, but it's kind of peculiar a little bit. You know, questions like, fellas, you're watching a game, and whether it's your girlfriend or your spouse, and she comes up to you, and she really wants to talk, but this is like the championship game. And you're trying to watch the game, and she comes to you, she says, hey, listen, is this game more important than our relationship? Now, I, listen, I would just not answer that question. Just don't, just leave it alone. But you already know the answer to that question. I love how he starts here because he starts with some things that we already know the answer to. And if you're looking at it, you know, you look in verse 1. Okay, so we have this in light of everything, 27 through 29. Actually, therefore, everybody say so. Because it's like so. It's just a continuation. The only break is really the break that we kind of made, and it continues. But he easily could have gone so and then went into part of verse 2 and say, be like-minded and continue on. But he doesn't do that. Look at verse 1. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you're like, okay, I think there's encouragement in that. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So you're saying, I know that all these things are true as I start to read them. It would almost be like me saying to you guys today, listen, would there be any consolation in you paying less taxes? Most people are like, um, yep, I, I would take consolation. That would be great. If you could do that right now, we can make that happen. Would there be any consolation in your job giving you more vacation days? It was like, yes, this is good. Um, would there be any consolation in your student loans being covered? Absolutely. Would there be any consolation in you getting free babysitting until your kids were 15? I know, I, that, I think I put that one on there for myself. Um, would there be any consolation in your spouse remembering your anniversary date? You know, all those things are like, absolutely, there will be consolation in all those things. And so when you see the word if, it's different from what we normally think of. The word if there is more like since. 
And if you look at it in the Greek, it's more like since. So it's almost like since there is consolation. Or you could look at it as if and there certainly is. If and there certainly is. And the reason why I say that is if you look in our, our English language, the word if is like come see, come sa. Like, you know, whatever may be, maybe it might be this, it might be that. We're not, you know, it could be this way, it could be that way. And, you know, that kind of comes from a French translation. But if you look at it in the Greek, there's three. So there's if, and it certainly will be. There's if, and we're not sure. And then there's if, and it definitely won't. But if you look at this particular one, it's if, and it certainly will be. So we could almost read it, if, and there certainly is, since. But the other thing I thought about is why would Paul do it this way? Why would he go through all these things? And I think it's the idea of this. He wants to give us. He wants to give us before he gives us a you ought to do this before like a command comes. There's this thing that says, hey, you know what? I'm going to lavish truth on everybody. I'm going to lavish truth on you before it's that you ought to do this. I'm going to lavish truth on you and say, hey, here's truth. Here's your position in Christ. Here's all the things you know to be true. And because of those things, you ought to. And I think he does that here because really he could go right into everything else. And he knows what's coming in verse 3 and 4, even it starts in verse 2, is a tough ask. It's a tough ask. They're not easy things. I want to look at this first phrase. If you have any encouragement by being united in Christ... Think about that. Now, we know our encouragement should come from Christ. If you look at the world, our encouragement a lot of times doesn't come from that. Our encouragement in the world doesn't come from CNN. Anytime I watch it, it doesn't come from Fox News. Okay? It doesn't come from, like, the Discovery Channel. Our kids like to watch the Food Network bake-off shows. It doesn't come from there, although those are more encouraging to me than the first three. Um, you know, our encouragement comes from Christ, and it's an encouragement to joy. It's an encouragement to joy because I think sometimes we're so focused on how do we feel in the moment. It's like, how are we happy right now? Because happiness is like this. You could be having an amazing day. I talk to youth all the time. And a lot of times youth, you know, I ask them at 830, like, hey, how's your day? And youth are like, this is the worst day I've ever had. And then I see them later, like 1230. And they're like, I'm like, how's your day? I'm like, oh, it's good now. Wait a minute. You said this is the worst day you ever had. Happiness is so quick. I mean, I don't know, you know, what your ladies, what your hair was like, but, you know, you might leave the house and your hair is like amazing and you are happy and it's good. Right. And then you get where you're going and your hair just kind of does something like, I don't know, it does something. And you're like, ah, and all of a sudden you're not happy anymore. Right. Our encouragement in Christ is past a happiness. Our encouragement, what he's saying is if there's any encouragement in Christ and there is, it's an encouragement to joy corporately. We should be encouraged that we're the bride of Christ. And personally, we should be encouraged that even though that we're sinners, we've been given redemption. We've been given reconciliation. I love the name of this church, just the idea of the exchange, what we've exchanged. So there's encouragement there. Look at the next phrase. If any comfort from his love. You know, this world is dealing with a lot of things. Um, loneliness, anxiety. There's a lot of people longing to be comforted. Honestly, uh, right in here, the, the, the word comfort kind of deals with this idea of consolation. Um, if you're with me, I want you to turn, uh, keep your finger in Philippians 2. I want you to turn back to Psalm 73 for a minute. Because I want to talk about someone who was comforted by God. I want to talk about someone who was consoled by God in Psalm 73. If you look in Psalm 73, Asaph writes this psalm. And sometimes we think, I think, 
We think that people in the Bible just, you know, dealt with everything easily. And sometimes we see the stories of people struggling, but we forget the mindset that they are in the same type of positions that we were. And if you look at Asaph, look at verse 1 and verse 2 in Psalm 73. says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. He's struggling. I had nearly lost foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on in verses 4 through 11. Look at verse 11. He goes down to talk about all the things that he's frustrated with, all the things that are causing him anxiety and angst. Verse 11 says, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? And he goes on to talk about all the anxiety and things that he's dealing with in the way that he's not comforted. But then look at verse 17. I love the first line of this. Verse 17 says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And it starts to talk about that. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down into ruin. And he goes on almost to say, I was like a beast. I didn't understand until I entered the sanctuary of God and you comforted me. So when we look at that in Philippians, and we understand that God comforts. When we look at that in Philippians and we see, you know, in Psalms, it says he puts the solitary in flocks. You know, he brings us back. He comforts us. He consoles us. Look at the next phrase. Is there any common sharing in the spirit? Um, everybody say koinonia. One more time. Koinonia. It's that Greek word. It's that idea of fellowship. Okay? And not just fellowship. You know, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any, some versions say, if there's any fellowship in the spirit, that idea that it's not just a fellowship, but it's a partnership. Like we're partnering in what's common goals, what God has given us as common goals. We're partnering together. There's fellowship in the spirit. We're of one mind. We're striving together for the same thing. And there's fellowship by putting aside our own ideas because God might have a better way to do it. Think about Acts chapter 16. I know you guys probably talked about this before, but think about all the different people that the church of Philippi is made of. And just three examples in Acts chapter 16. So you have a wealthy autonomous woman in Lydia. You have the demon possessed girl who's kind of enslaved that Paul heals, partly because he's kind of annoyed. Okay. It's like this, she keeps following me around. I imagine what that had to be like. She's following me around saying the same thing, like, you know, and an act of the Holy Spirit power heals her. Then you have a soldier turned jailer who, because of Paul's faithfulness, he said, hey, we're all here because this is my chance to give you the gospel. All these people make up the church of Philippi. So the fellowship that brings them together, that koinonia, is not just because they're all the same type of people. It's because there's something bigger that's bringing them together. It's a Holy Spirit fellowship that says, hey, we're striving together for the sake of the gospel. I don't really maybe know how we all got together, but we are together. And what keeps us together is something bigger than any one of our own goals. What keeps us together is the gospel. That what keeps us staying together, working together, striving together. It's the gospel. Gospel breaks down race. It breaks down socioeconomic levels. You know what I mean? We can look all around this room. You know, in this room, we have young. We have less young. We have different ages, different race, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels. You know, there's wisdom in this room. There's energy in this room. But we're all brought together for the striving of the gospel. And I think that's what we're seeing. If there's any, you know, fel fellowship or common sharing in the spirit, 
If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Make my joy complete. Everyone say agape. Make my joy complete by showing others that agape love and being unified in the spirit. I always wonder why Paul says make my joy complete. Because he said make my joy complete. Why would he say make my joy complete? But I think it's this. You think about Paul, again, chained in stocks, writing after all he's been through. And he's saying, make my joy complete, meaning my joy comes from a unity in the gospel. That completes my joy. Even if I don't see you and I just hear about you, that's okay because my joy will be complete as I hear of the unity in the gospel brings him joy. And so we need to make unity in the gospel a priority. We need to make unity in Christ a priority. See, sometimes I don't know if we do this, or sometimes I don't know if we have the right idea of unity, if we understand. We're not talking about an artificial unity. We're not talking about, hey, everyone has to have like the same, uh, everyone has to be a fan of the same football team. Okay? And if that was the Dolphins, that would be like a sad existence of your, sorry if you're a Dolphins fan, okay? Um, we're not talking about that like everyone has to like, like the same food or listen to the same music. That's not what it means. I mean, I would love if, you know, it was mandated that everyone had to eat wings every day and listen to Christian hip hop. Um, that's not going to happen. It would be great. But we're not talking about like something that's like an artificial unity. We're talking about something that surpasses that. Paul's saying like, hey, we should all have the same, almost like the same set of attitudes, the same framework for addressing people. The same way we deal with circumstances, the way, same way we see love, that almost like, hey, if someone walks through that door who doesn't know us, that they would get the same reaction from us, and that's that, that agape love, that we would all have that same framework. See, I think we should all agree we're not citizens of this world. Josiah said it earlier when he was up here kind of introducing this, and you've talked about this. We should agree that we're not citizens of this world. We should agree in the gospel. We should agree on the power of the Holy Spirit. We should agree that even if you look back in 27 through 29, that we shouldn't be shaken by what this world throws at us. You know, in 27 through 29, it's the idea of don't be shaken, don't be skittish, don't be nervous because your confidence in the gospel shows others that there's power in the gospel. I don't know if anyone, I love that, you know, don't be shaken. Um, it reminds me of the idea of like, I don't know if anyone in here has ever been on a horse before. Um, and that idea, I don't get on horses too often. Every time I do, it doesn't really work out. I don't know about you. Um, because they don't listen at all. You don't, they don't want to cooperate with like, whoa, or anything. Um, and sometimes you see, you know, the, the way they are, like that, that fear, that skittish. It says, don't be like that. Okay? We should all agree not to be like that because okay, the, go the gospel gives us that confidence. It gives us that power. And this isn't our homeland. This earth is not our home. And so he starts this way. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit. And we know we're going to go through conflict. Paul's saying, hey, this is me. I'm over here and I'm in chains and this is my mindset. What about you guys over there? You know, how are you dealing with this? And I think sometimes we forget that a unity in the gospel, and this is why I titled it this, a unity in the gospel can change minds meaning minds that were closed to the gospel, people see a group of people saying, why are they like that? It's almost kind of weird, like something bad happens to them, and they're like, you know, they just roll with it. You know, I've never seen anyone like that. I've never seen a group of people who act like that. 
And someone whose mind was closed to the gospel before now becomes open because they're seeing a representation of Jesus Christ when we act like Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, they're seeing a unity that could change minds. But I think sometimes we do the opposite. We do this. We bring the battle to the wrong adversary. When we need to bring the battle to the right adversary, okay? We need to bring the battle to the right adversary. Sometimes we bring the battle to the wrong adversary, and that's each other. You think about what Ephesians 6 says. Paul says, you will deal with spiritual wickedness. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need to bring the battle to the right adversary. Um, There's a missionary. His name is D.E. Host. He is the one who took over for Hudson Taylor in China Inland Missions. Um, As Hudson, Hudson Taylor, many people have heard his name as he transitioned. He said this, quote, we won't appoint someone to the mission field until they learn to wrestle with the wicked one. I love this. We won't appoint someone to the mission field until they learn to wrestle with the wicked one. Because until they learn to wrestle with the wicked one, they will wrestle with their fellow missionaries. I think so often that happens in Christian circles, unfortunately, and that happens in church circles. That we wrestle with each other. I remember as a young person, um, I don't know about you, but I was in church all day long, like all day. So I would go to church at 730 for breakfast, and then it was breakfast and then Sunday school. And then after Sunday school, you had the service. And then after service, there might be like prayer meeting. And then after prayer meeting, there was lunch. And then it was like 3 o'clock. I was finally like, all right, I was, I was here all day long. I used to get so mad sometimes at my grandma. And she was like, no, it's, you need to be here. Um, and, you know, sometimes we get mad like, Josiah, it's 58 minutes. Come on, bro. Um, I'm sure he doesn't do that. But, you know, so I was in church all day sometimes. And I remember one time overhearing something that just, like, stuck with me as a youth. And it was two ladies. It was Women's Day. Uh, so I know you Baptist church. We got a day for everything when I grew up in Baptist church. It was Women's Day. And I remember one of the ladies saying, I can't believe she got mad at me for the way I put those centerpieces together. They are good. And she was talking to another lady about someone else. And she was saying she couldn't put him together like that. And I remember I was like, and that just struck me that like, wow. Like it was the first time I really realized like people got people here get mad at each other. Um. And but it was one of those things that stuck with me. Like sometimes we wrestle with each other over meaningless things. Um, We've all heard about churches that split over really dumb things like the color of the carpet or how we going to paint things or, you know, those things that you're like, this is this is not why we should wrestle. This is not what our effort and our energy should be drawn to. And it says, you know, this as we go through verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You know, because verse 3 and verse 4, here comes a big, 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 big ask. That's hard. Um, if you look in chapter 4, and I know you guys will get there, there's two ladies, Yodia and Sintiche, and it talks about them. It actually names them. How would you like to be, like, specifically named, right, in a bestseller um, for strife, you know? Um, not, that's not the list we probably want to be on. But it says, hey, let's, Paul's saying, like, put this to rest. Somehow he's heard of it, and he's saying, let's put this strife to rest so that you can move on in unity in the gospel. 
Let's put this to rest because something like this, I mean, back in those times, you think about it, we, uh, even on Sunday morning, and I think this church actually probably has a better idea than some bigger churches because you're probably talking about a few hundred people in Philippi, okay? But they're in a context of um, persecution in some ways, a context of Caesar worship, um, a, a very different context, but still something like this could split a church. And unfortunately, we've all seen it. And Paul says, don't let it be like that. And then I think today about our culture and some things that we have to deal with that they don't have to deal with because, and I didn't bring it up here, I was going to, I was going to bring up my phone and just, you know, kind of go like this and, and take a selfie or not take a selfie. Um, because you think about social media and how sometimes that spreads into our selfish ambition and sometimes that spreads into our disunity. I mean, to think about sometimes, unfortunately, you know, all the modes of social media from Facebook to Instagram to Snapchat to Twitter, you know, all those things. I just always laugh because Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. And I wonder, like, I would love to hear Paul, like, you know, someone come up to Paul, like, hey, you want to take a selfie? Like, you put, like, Bible people in this time. So I'm like, okay, Paul, I wonder what he would have said about, like, selfies. Um, not that if you take a selfie, it's wrong or anything. But it's just interesting to, like, kind of take that person and, like, you know, put it in that context. Because it's, you know, it's interesting. Think about how social media unfortunately, like, spreads that, like, wildfire. There's gossip out there in cyberspace. Unfortunately, that causes people to do things that causes disunity. It causes some of the loneliness that we talked about, some of the anxiety, some of the problems that we have, you know, with each other. And Paul says, you know, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. That word strife in the King James means rivalry. So we'll park on that for a second. It means rivalry, meaning a rivalry that would put you down so that I could be established. That will put your goals down so that my goals could be established. And that's not having a heavenly mindset. That's having a selfish or an earthly mindset. And I think sometimes, even in church world, I always laugh at this kind of um, in church world because I could see it from non-Christians sometimes versus our body of believers how, how non-Christians who don't have a Christ view would strive for their own glory because that's the framework that they know. Or even sometimes Christians in our secular vocations could get to the point where we kind of forget about what we're learning. Maybe we're not in the word and we start to strive. But I think even sometimes in, in, right in here we do this or in churches where we know to do nothing out of selfish ambition. We know that setting up for church or picking up trash in a parking lot is just as important as leading the outreach. But somehow we think there's some more like spiritual prestige that comes with like leading the outreach or more spiritual prestige with comes with being like the point person or serving for something. Even though the actual place that we are in is telling us not to do that, we can easily get sucked away in that mindset. And it's saying don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vacancy, consider others more than yourselves. Have that humility. In humility of mind, think of someone more than yourself. You know, I always think about it like this. What if we thought of someone and each person, even that person that we might have a hard time getting along with, they say, wow, you know what? Christ purchased that person with his blood. He considered that person. How much more should I consider that person that I'm, that I'm supposed to be striving together with? And I think it comes down to this. We need to examine why we do stuff or we need to look at our motivation. What is our true motivation for doing things? 
And I would say it like this. Be honest with yourself about your motivation. Be honest with yourself about your motivation. Why do you do what you do? Josiah asked a great question a couple weeks ago. What's the meaning of life? You know, what's the motive behind why you do what you do? What is the end goal that you're striving for? There was a, I told you I liked Christian hip-hop. There is a um, Christian hip-hop artist who put it like this, and his name is Emmanuel Lambert. His cooler name is The Truth. Um, And he says it like this. None of it satisfies, talking about the things of this world. None of it satisfies. Some of it gratifies. Son of a gun, the fun under the sun is glamorized. Satan's a slick one, y'all. The sum of it's camouflaged. Eternity away from the son of a lavish God. Think about that. None of it satisfies. Some of it gratifies. You might be happy for a moment. Fun under the sun is glamorized. That's definitely true. Satan is a slick one because the sum of it, the end goal of it, even though it's mirrored as something else, is camouflaged. That's why so many people fall into it. But it ends up in eternity away from the son of a lavish God. I think it's one of the hardest things to do, though. It's easy to say. It's easy to preach. So anytime someone preaches about this to a group of people, I want to say I'm with y'all. It's hard to do. But Paul says, through the power of the Holy Spirit striving together, this is something that we can make happen. Romans 12.10. Turn to Romans 12.10 just for a second. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture as well. In Romans 12.10, it says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Look at verse 12. Paul's always on the same kick. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. But I just want to go back to that first verse. Even if, imagine if we could all just do that. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And we see it in the Trinity. So in John 17, 4, we see Jesus giving glory to the Father. John 17, actually, verses 1 through 4, we see that Jesus honors the Father. Even in John 14, 19, if you want another reference, there's another one where Jesus honors the Father. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Next week, as you get into the rest of the verses in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, you'll see another amazing example of Jesus who says, I'm going to put everything on the shelf and I'm going to give glory to the Father. And all throughout the Trinity, we see them pointing to each other. The Father says, this is my beloved son right here. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I think about this example. If our God, three parts, one God can do this. The parts of our God can do this. What an example for us to say, how can I be devoted to this person in brotherly love? Maybe they don't look like me. They might not exactly come from the same background. I don't even know them. Maybe I should get to know them. Maybe I should spend some time developing more koinonia with them. But we can do this same thing in humility, be devoted to one another in brotherly love because we see our God do it. And Paul is saying to us, hey, this is how I'm feeling. How are you guys feeling? You know, that idea of humility, if you go back to Philippians 2, verse 4, or almost second part of verse 3 into verse 4, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, having that humility is not easy. Um, I wanted to read a verse from 1 Peter verses 5. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 says this. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9 says, Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Goes back to Philippians 2, 1 and 2 with verse 7 right here. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember, if there is comfort in his love. Verse 8, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Paul saying, I'm undergoing the same kind of things. You know, it's interesting to me that humility and repentance, a lot of times God uses humility and repentance. So it's very rare in the scriptures that God will take the most mighty, the most smart, the most talented person and use that person. Almost never happens. God is always using those who are repentant, those who are humble, those who are willing to put their needs aside, those people who are willing to say, man, I know I can't do this, but God, I hope you can use me because I'm going to try to to be humble in spirit and, and be used of you. It's almost like a who's who of nobodies. That's what God uses, like a who's who of you. You're unskilled, you're not ready, you probably can't do it, but you're humble and willing. God's like, I'm going to use that person, you know? I'm going to use that person because I'm going to show you that it has nothing to do with that person, but it's all about me. I think about one of my favorite verses is 1 Samuel 16, 7. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, a man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Think about when, when David is, or Jesse, you know, David's, Jesse's bringing his sons out and David's not there, you know, and they're looking for it. And he says like, hey, you know, do you have any more sons? Because all these guys aren't it. And you look, wait, wait a minute, like, hold on, you know, do you have any more sons? Well, just David, but he's, you know, he's like the shepherd boy, heart player. He's not the king. I mean, think about Saul at that time, a foot over everybody. That's what it says, by like a foot over everyone, best warrior, most skilled, God saying, I'm not going to do it this way. You know, Saul was man's choice. Now it's time for my choice. My choice is the person you're not thinking of. And when we humble ourselves and put others' needs above ourselves, that's when God says, okay, now I'm ready to get to work with you. Now I'm ready to get to work. Because now watch me work through you. You know, I think about this question, what will we be known for? As a church, what will we be known for? I think it's a question that even everyone today at Exchange Church could ask. But the awesome thing about you guys asking this question is a lot of churches, history is years and years and years. And so it's hard to change it. But this church is just getting started. And so it's just it's just building its identity in Christ. And as you go on, man, what will even what will Exchange Church be known for? Because I think if you ask people today, what's the church, what's the church known for? I think you get answers like, well, the church, the church people, they're all Republicans. Okay? Or church people are all moralists. Okay? Or church people all have a certain idea about tongues. I don't know why that always comes up. Everyone always talks about tongues. What do you think about tongues? Um, either you believe it or you don't. What's about tongues? Or, you know, church people are all hypocrites. This is actually my favorite one because when people say, hey, church people are all hypocrites, I'm like, that's exactly right because a lot of times I stink in this Christian life. I stink at doing it, but Jesus helps me. And if I stink, then he can definitely save you. Um, 
It's, it's actually an open door to miss. When someone says, the church is all hypocrites, you should be like, yes, here we go. Because some, there's sometimes I'm really bad at this. But if God can save me and use me, then he can use you. But I think, man, what could the church be known for? What if the church was known for just that, that we were devoted to each other in brotherly love? That there was a distinctness about the way we carried ourselves. That there was a distinct unity about the way we carried ourselves. And not an artificial one, but a unity that says, hey, you know what? This group of people working together, serving in love. Think about the church and and acts. Coming together, serving in love, putting their own needs aside for what God wanted to do with them. And all of a sudden, it starts to catch on like wildfire. One of the things I love about the early church, we should, I mean, always think in America, like we're, by saying you are a Christian, very clearly in defining that, even a secular vocation, I think you take some heat. Not as much heat as places around the world, though. But I think about this group of people or people in the early church in the time of Acts. Think about the persecution they went through. But as they showed who they were, it bound those people together. They were devoted together. People knew who they were. And all of a sudden, minds that were close to the gospel were changed. What if today in South Florida, minds that were close to the gospel continue to be changed, continue to be open? by a group of people who say, I'm going to strive together and be devoted to one another in love. I'm going to put away selfish things, not my own interests, and I'm going to seek the interest of the Lord. What if we could do that? What if we could show people a gospel that says, hey, you know what? This is a gospel for everybody. This is a gospel that's pro-sinner, pro-lost person. We should all say, I'm the chief of I love talking about heaven with people because we have this misconception that there's like, you know, or the world has this misconception like good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, and I love how he puts it. Hey, you know what? There are good people, hey, and, well, let me say it like this. I'll take it back. He says, there are people who, good people who choose not to accept Jesus Christ as their savior, and they go to hell. And there are bad people who choose eh, to accept Jesus Christ and go to heaven, just like there's vice versa, almost like this. And the way he puts it is, you know, there's good and bad people that go to heaven, and there's good and bad people that go to hell. It doesn't matter. It's not really even about good or bad. It's just about the gospel at work in our lives. So all of a sudden you may say like, well, and this misconception of, well, you have to be good or you have to do this. What if we could just show people a gospel that's just about that. It's just about the work that Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And that's it. Because the gospel really flattens everything. Um, it's not about the black gospel. It's not about the white gospel. It's not about the Latino gospel. It's not about the Republican gospel. It's not about the moralist gospel. It's just about what Jesus Christ has done as a work in our lives. And what if we could come together as a group of people and show people that that unity in the gospel. Um, And as you go on to verse 5, and I'll just point to this before we close, verse 5 gives us, it's the intro into the ultimate example. And I'm not going to go there because you guys are going to go there next week, but it's the ultimate example. It's the picture of what Paul's talking about. So he's describing it in one. He's describing it in two. He's describing it in three and four. And then he says, you know what? Let me give you a picture of what this is like. Let me give you an example. And there's only one example of someone who does this in a perfect way, and that's Jesus Christ. 
So I want to close with this and say maybe, you know, you came here today and, you know, where you say, hey, you know what? There were some things keeping me from being unified with other believers. There were some things keeping me from really fellowshipping well. There were some things keeping me from having Christ ambition instead of my own selfish ambition. And I just want to say this. We all have found ourselves there. Every single one of us have found ourselves there at some point in time. But the key is not to stay there. The key is if you find yourself there, say, hey, Lord, you know what? I need to take a step back. This doesn't have to be about me. This needs to be about you and you only. And if we could do that, imagine what we could show a world, even just the people in this room. You know, think about who Jesus really spent a lot of time with. Jesus spent a lot of time with just those 12. And think about how those people affected others and how the gospel goes out. So just think about the amount of people in this room. If we could have that fellowship in the gospel that is talked about here, that humility in Christ, that would be amazing. Let me close. Lord, I thank you for this group. Um, Lord, I'm always thankful to be here. I'm always thankful to come because I do find that fellowship. I do find that joy here. And Lord, I pray that you would continue that joy with everyone who's here God, even just walking in, having conversations with the people in this room. Some of them I know, some of them I didn't know. Even before today, just seeing the joy on their face, seeing what God is doing in them. And God, I pray that you would continue that in us. Lord, you continue that work. Because sometimes, Lord, we know it's easy to get focused on just the here and now. It's easy to get focused on just what we see. But Lord, I pray that you would help us not to focus on that. You would help us to have joy past circumstances, joy past what we're going through. Lord, I pray that you would be with anyone in this room who's going through something, God, spiritual attack, a spiritual attack on their finances, a spiritual attack on their health, a spiritual attack, God, on their friendships. And Lord, you just be with them and help them to be steadfast, unmovable, Lord, not grounded in we can do it in our own strength, but grounded in your strength. Lord, help us to seek you for all we need. And Lord, help us to know that you're here for us and you're willing to use us. And God, when we're repentant and when we're humble, then you can use us in a mighty way. And then we start to see you work. And it's amazing past anything we could think or imagine always. But Lord, help us to have that faith to do that. I pray these things in your name. Amen.